Andy Moet is the founder of Gated, a free solution that challenges unknown senders to donate to reach you. This way, only relevant emails make it into your inbox. He has spent his career building sales and marketing engines for world-class companies like Upwork, Box, and CultureAmp. As a veteran go-to-market operations and growth marketing leader, his teams have sent billions of emails and caused a lot of pain. And like everyone else, he's been overwhelmed by emails, so he built Gated to fix it for buyers and for sellers, and to do some good for the world at the same time. Now in this episode, Andy talks to us about community-led growth and how Gated is changing the world one inbox at a time. Okay, so Andy, let's go back real quick, and if you can, and set a little bit of a stage for the audience. Now, after getting your MBA at Stanford, is it correct that you went into private equity for a small Mm -hmm. outfit? I think uh, some folks might know them. Credit Suisse. Uh yeah, I did. Uh, I did banking and private equity before Stanford. And, okay. And I uh, and then I did Stanford, and then I went into Stanford in '99. Uh, world was hot. I came out in '01. The world was an absolute dumpster fire, which I feel like a lot of people are living through today as well, too. So, like, I I, I basically graduated from B school and didn't have a job for like four or five months, which was a lot of fun. Interesting. Well, I mean, uh, I, I had. A lecturer on here that uh, talked about, uh, you know, he was from Harvard and he talks about teaching sales and sales management, uh, Frank Cespedes, you might know of him, mm-hmm. um, but he talks about teaching MBAs specifically and the, you know, how they, where they go afterwards. So always kind of interested in uh, to understand that track record. Now, tell us a little bit about the inflection points after that point. Uh, again, just trying to set the stage here a little bit. Uh, you joined Box, uh, left uh, about two years after that, joined Culture Amp, where you drove 10x growth in ARR to a point where it was a unicorn, and you were uh, in that capacity of a VP of go-to-market operations and marketing. Can you talk yeah. about those inflection points going to Box, leaving Box for Culture Amp, and that, what that experience was like? Yeah, um, so I joined Box um, post startup. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was working on a startup, and I joined to run all the post-sale operations. So think of like customer success ops, um, like professional services ops and support and all of that. Right. So I was, I was just cranking through all that stuff. Um, and about halfway through that, I got a call from the COO. He's like, I heard you're really good. Um, our head of marketing ops quit. Can you take over? And so I jumped, you know, I, I had actually run marketing ops at Upwork before. So I had a, a pretty good sense for how things worked. I'd obviously been in a lot of the meetings, um, but I rolled up my sleeves and, you know, got a crash course doing two full-time jobs at once. Wow. Had a blast, learned a lot, you know, it was super intense and we just had our first kid. Um, and I met the guys at Culture Amp, right? And um, and they said, oh, we're, you know, we're looking for somebody to do sales ops. I said, I'm sorry, not interested. Um, what I would be interested in is running all of ops data and go-to-market strategy, right? Because I don't look, I, I don't believe these things should be siloed. And so I, they were like, yeah, 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 that's what we actually need. And so I joined Culture Amp. I was probably like four or five million in revenue. Um, it's actually more than 10x. It's more like almost closer. To, I mean, I think I left when we were like 75 or 80 million in revenue. Um, so in a four-year pan, plan span, we drove it incredibly fast. Happy to kind of dive into like. Yeah, what did Culture Amp do I, I, for the for the audiences? Uh, I mean, the cool thing is when you name a company like that, everyone knows. But to a large degree, what we did, but we help people collect, measure, and act on employee feedback. And so what we did was we took CultureAmp from a nice to have, um, which was some top end companies were really understanding their employees and the feedback. And we made it a must have. And then 
COVID helped that, right? Because if you can't be as a manager um, right next to somebody, you're going to want to be able to understand how they're thinking, how they're feeling and all of that stuff. So yeah, we, it was an amazing run. I worked with great people and um, I only left there because I, I needed to start gating. Right. Exactly. Well, um, one of the things that, you know, I, I like to unpack are the issues that we see from company to company, those toughest issues that revenue teams are facing. We obviously talked offline and I'm relatively familiar with the background. And I know you haven't actually changed, I mean, charged us, sorry, uh, charged for your time, but you do advise in, uh, a lot of companies that you invest into. And so you do have some fact pattern recognition that I want to tap into here. And you shared with me that there's a better way to do demand gen. So can you can you dive into what your your concepts are and your philosophy of this era around a better way of doing demand gen? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are like, great, I need to hire demand gen. Let me go hire somebody, give them a budget and have X number of leads come through. And you can do that, but it only works so well. Um, I think what works a lot better is when you say, listen, what are we really good at? What are the what are the points in our demand funnel that we really want to figure out and how do we wire all that stuff together in the right way, right? So I'll give you kind of two examples. Um, you know, I was talking to one CEO and he's like, I need to hire a demand gen person. And I'm like, but you literally send people on these amazing adventures. Don't go spend a bunch of money on SEM ads, get those people talking and then wire that through the, your entire go-to-market motion. Um, and it gated, you know, similar, like one of the big reasons that people, people, you know, turning on gated is a step. Um, you have to decide that you want to be a little bit more loud with and create a little bit of friction for the people that don't know you, um, and you know push. You know you're one of the early adopters, and so what we spent a lot of time there was social proof matters a lot, and we have these users that are absolute fans of ours that love to talk about it, and so mm-hmm. let's think really consciously around how do we wire social proof testimonials in as core pieces of it, and so I think for me. Uh, it's so much more fun when you figure out like what you're world-class at and how do you wire it through? Like for culture amp, it was community. Um, and we wired, we, we took a lot of those lessons and learnings from folks at Gainsight. I've learned a lot of, from them on, on the community side and we built an absolute machine on the community side um, that was a lead gen, demand gen, whatever. Um, yes, we had, you know, 10, $15 million paid budget, but that was more just to fill in the funnels and make sure we were visible in the right places but you know the community was the thing that made us special. Community-led really, growth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll talk. We'll touch on a little bit later. I think from one of your other questions, but you don't own the mansion, right? Like all those channels were rented, and they're not owned. And if you're building out own channels where you can communicate and engage your audience, that's better. And so I think fundamentally, I look at demand gen is if the people will give you the freedom to do it being much more thoughtful, long-term strategic and building brand and demand gen in together versus you want a bunch of leads. This is what they're going to cost. I'll go do that. Right. I saw a tweet just right before jumping on here, coincidentally, that said the next big thing is communities being bought. Right. So, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. That's been, that's been kind of hot for two years or so. Like HubSpot Mm. bought a community, uh, I think it was the hustle or whatever it was. Um, I think hmm. you know, sales hacker got bought by outreach. There've been a bunch of other examples. I've actually invested in one or two communities. I, I've been, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and I've actually got an article on my LinkedIn profile around 
all the learnings and insights we had from communities at CultureAmp and also the questions to ask before you go out and build a community. Mm-hmm. I think there've been a couple of software companies that have been spun up around it. To me, there's kind of this weird off, you know, it's very easy to start a Slack community. They're free. You can get a couple hundred, a thousand people on there. It's hard to keep the quality of that up and to keep, and to, you know, there's no features or plugins that can take Slack to be better. And so you reach this point where you're like, crap. And we reach this point of culture. And we're like, crap, we had 8,000 people in a Slack community. Like, how do you activate and how do you engage that? And so I think you need to have a more comprehensive view. I also don't think every company should build a community. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I kind of have in that one article, like, what are the questions I would ask before I would advise you to build a community? Mm-hmm. I had uh, David Delaney on the show, and he obviously he's built out a community for the sales development side of uh, things. And I we we tried to unpack the power of community a little bit. And I'd asked him if you know if he rewrote his book today, the sales sales development framework. Would he add community as one of the pillars uh, today? Now that it's it's definitely uh, a hot area. And he yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so kind of dovetailing a little bit, we'll come back to our main road here, but how does an organization leverage the power of community though, right? If you think about not every company should build a community, but you have a sales team that can benefit from community, um, managers that can benefit from community, not just from the product side of things and revenue growth, but from a development side of things, uh, is, is there a way to leverage community within a sales organization and to, um, to drive development? Absolutely, yes. Let me, I think the word community can be defined many yeah. ways, right? Yeah. So I think maybe Fair. let me explain what we did at CultureAmp. Um, and I may also add some pieces of like what other people have done, whether we've done or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, fundamentally we were running, you know, we had the Slack community, great. Um, but what do you, how do you do that? We had events. Um, I think events are a key piece of it, right? So we had like owned events. Um, we had our tentpole, like flagship events. Um, we had events that we would attend with other people. We had meetups and we had geek ups. So we were running like 200 events a year. Um, we had a job board. We had, so like, if hey, if you're looking for a job in HR, like we can help you. Gainsight did that to an amazing degree, right? Like if you're trying to hire somebody in CS, you go to the Gainsight job board. Um, mm-hmm. The, I mean, we had podcasts, we had meetups, we had geek ups, we used you know, divvy for some of that stuff. Um, you know, so all of that together is a community versus we have a Slack group. Uh, it's kind of hard to activate that other piece. Right, right, right. right. Um, but in terms of like, how can sales and go to market teams leverage it? Like every P, every touch point in that community, first off, there are plenty of leads that come in to you that are not ready to buy. Right. Right. So the community is a perfect place to route those. That way your brand gets to keep having a dialogue with those people. And and so that's content. It's a whole other way to nurture them. Email is not the only channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I think is like those touch points in the community become excuses for your sales team to reach out. And so if we're running 200 events a year, my SDR team is never saying, hey, do you want to buy some culture software? They're saying, hey, we've got this cool event in your backyard. Do you want to show up? Um, you know, one of my favorite tactics of all is the small group dinners. Um, Nick Meta, like, I probably didn't invent it, but those were my first experience where I'm like, wow, I'm going to a meeting with like seven other senior, like, 
folks that are right, there right. along with the CEO, like mm-hmm. you're going to give that company, they're going to be in any deal. Right. And so, you know, Gainsight's view, and we kind of took a similar view was if you're buying CS software, we want to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's how the community helps you do those things. And so, I mean, I would much rather be a sales rep at a place that has a really strong community effort because I can I can dust them off and then I can look at them and I have the data around, wow, they've attended. And we had all this instrumental culture, like which events have they attended? Where have they gone? What webinars are they watching? You know, oh, wow. And, and so you could have your accounts triggered off of that, right? And so you start to have, it becomes a very easy job then, right? Yeah. And the community manager role for some of that, I imagine, is uh, an important cog in the wheel, if you will. I know that's kind of who's going to own the community, who's going to facilitate that dialogue, who's going to try and activate some of those those conversations. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was our field marketing team, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. I think we were running six or seven people on field marketing at Culture Amp, like, mm-hmm. similar, like even more significant at Box. Um, in terms of all of those pieces that were working well together. Well, you've mentioned Gated a few times uh, already. And so I think this is a good point to clarify who is Gated, what does Gated do? And I love the tagline, noise canceling headphones for email. Mm -hmm. But you take it from there. Just for our listeners, let's give them a little backdrop on what Gated is and uh, how it's positioned. Yeah, um, I've spent my whole career hammering people with emails, so I've caused a lot of the pain. Um, <laughs> if, if you are a B2B buyer, and I, I understand this audience is much more um, sales people, but if you're a B2B buyer, you're getting hammered. Um, and it, what you start end up doing is you start, you know, first you're like, oh, cool, I want to reply to this one, tell them why we're not interested. And then you realize, wow, I can't do that because they're just going to ask for 10 minutes of my time anymore. And so you start tuning them all out. And then people start trying to gamify you know, the email subject lines. And so you're, you just don't have control over your own inbox anymore. So gated takes email from people that don't know you out of your inbox, moves it to a side folder and sends an email that says, I don't know you. Um, Here's my favorite nonprofit. If you donate and typically it's two bucks, it gets to top my inbox. And if you, if, if you donate and it gets to top my inbox, um, here's the kicker for salespeople. The reply rate on those donated emails is 46% on average. Last month, it was 53%. And so what's happening is instead of having to gamify a subject line and you know, and like try to, like you only have like 25 characters um, or do something really stupid, like you can actually invest in quality content. And imagine if you can go from like typical cold outbound reply rates at 2% to a you can 20x your reply rate. Like that changes the game and it changes how you do outbound. You should be more targeted. You should be focused on engaging the right people. And so what we see in the sales world is this. Ugh, gated, that sucks. Used to be free to email people. That was your reaction the first time you and I met. Right, exactly. Um, (laughs) And then people are like, wait a second, let me try this. So I dropped down my personal card, like, holy crap, like people are replying. I'm, I'm creating authentic connections. And I'm like, you know, I we have people that have these amazing nonprofits that mean very personal stuff to them. And so that kind of reply rate is amazing. There's a lot of users that reply hundred percent of the time. There's a couple of users that we don't hound because we're not going to ever force people to reply, but the, you know, reply really low. Um, But the, but overall the average is between 46 and 50%, which is just amazing. Yeah. And consistently uh, that that's incredible. Now, a, it would be hard to pick 
accounts that have gated to Mm -hmm. pursue. Mm -hmm. So from a seller's perspective, you're right. When you do come across that contact that has gated, you should be happy to not, not feel like you're being blocked out. It's just a new way of getting the attention that you really are after. So you may need to donate to a worthy cause, boys and girls club, whatever your, your thing, whatever the person's thing is um, to have a 50% chance at an authentic reply. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, like still, you got to write great content and hopefully it incentivizes yeah, of course. you to, you know, I always say, instead of sending a hundred emails and getting two replies, what if you could send 10 and get five? Um, that's a better world, but hopefully when you send those 10, you're writing better emails, you're doing better targeting as well too. Okay. Okay. Now on the flip side of this, uh, a new initiative that you're focused on is the unsubscribe experience, which has been long neglected. And I know for a firsthand experience, I unsubscribed from a ton of stuff recently to kind of clean out my inbox from people I didn't know. And it, 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 yeah, I, mean, I guess you don't know any different, but now that I've seen what you've talked, you're going to talk to us about, it was a terrible experience. So yeah. why does the unsubscribe experience suck so much today? A couple of reasons. Um, uh, I was on with some of the MarTech companies this week. So first off, like they're all optimizing it for compliance, not for experience. Okay. Second is I think people somehow assume that when people, and again, I'm going to talk generally about unsubscribe. There's definitely clearly like sales prospecting use cases and, and marketing like newsletter type of use cases. And, and they're very different, but um, you know, if, if you think about it, if you have act, so if the, we can talk prospecting for a second and they're like, you should fundamentally want the better feedback and leave people with a good experience if you do that. And frankly, sometimes when you do that, you can win those people back. If you're talking about like marketing newsletters, I think marketing people are like, ah, screw it. They're unsubscribing. I don't need them. But those people signed up for a reason. They were interested in your stuff and they decided that they weren't. Exactly. But they're still, still probably like. Interested. They still yeah, probably yeah, yeah, yeah. would keep receiving those newsletters if the experience was a little bit more tailored. Exactly. And so why kick them out the door? Why not have a your CEO of saying, hey, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to read our content. Sounds like we overloaded you. Like, can, can you give us a little bit of feedback on what this is and would love to stay in touch? And like, if there's other channels that we talk on, like, we'd love to have you follow us. Like, that's a better version of it. And also not having to hunt around and figure it out. Like when somebody clicks on subscribe, they want to unsubscribe. They pretty much do, right? So don't make them hunt to uh, hunt around too far. So yeah, we've been, it's not a focus for us, but it's a fun side passion yeah. project. We're working with a couple top like marketers and sellers to reinvent their unsubscribe experience. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you said it's not going to, you know, reinvent, um, you know, the engagement, uh, restart the engagement necessarily, but that experience does go a long way and you do learn a lot. And that's, uh, the, the thing is that we're not learning anything from Mars unsubscribes if we don't have something like that set up in the middle. And I do appreciate the noise canceling headphones for, for my inbox as well, taking away the sales angle, which I know was our focus when we first started talking. And yeah, uh, Andy mentions this, but last year when we were first introduced to be on the 10 bound sales development podcast, uh, I honestly was I don't see the angle. I don't see why we would be on the show. It's not driving success for SDR teams. And what you just learned from him about the 50% reply rate, being excited about 
you know, folks that are using gated um, really stood out to me. And I think it's, I, a, it's a paradigm shift. I remember our first conversation. I tell people, I was like, there's this guy, we hopped on the phone before like a prep call. And you're like, I got to tell you, man, I looked at your website. I'm not sure we should be talking. And I'm like, no, no, no. Give me five or 10 minutes. Like what we're doing is re it's looking at the world upside down. Um, and if you are sending a hundred thousand and auto generated and all that stuff, like, yeah, yeah. you're probably gonna hate me. Um, ironically, some of those people actually do like us. Um, but if you're putting in the time and, uh, and you're spending some time targeting, you're writing quality content, we're bringing a better world. And it's amazing, right? Cause you know, Derek, every time somebody interesting donates, um, I love to just drop my little note of like, cool to see your donation. I gave it people like, wow, that was amazing. Right. Like, we're trying to, we're all about connections rather than stopping the noise. Like that's, we spent, we really, and so what I'd say to people listening to the calls, like if you're a salesperson and you're seeing it, like, A, if you get a gated email, like donate, it should Absolutely. work um, and experience the, the experience. And second is, you know, talk about that experience online. Um, you know, the, the more we, we are changing behavior and crossing the chasm. And so the more, you know, people know like, hey, this is okay to turn on in your email. Like I wasn't pissed off. I was kind of confused, <laughs> mm -hmm. but now I understand it's, it's great. So uh, we actually are finding like thousands and thousands of sales folks are joining kind of the mission, the movement we're trying to do. We're spending a lot of time right now thinking, which may go into the next topic around audiences. Like how do we engage all these people that have had phenomenal experiences with Gated and bring them along on this movement that we're doing. Well, before we go there, I have a question just yeah. popped in my head here. What does the market look like in terms of gated adoption right now? What can you share with us? You know, you're, where are you today? How many inboxes have noise canceling headphones? You know, like, can you give us some perspective uh, without going into anything proprietary on yeah. that? slightly less than five figures. Um, so wow. it's, uh, we sent, you know, six, 700,000 challenge emails last month. Um, the world is, the world knows about us. Right, 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 right. But we're, you know, we're not hundreds of thousands or millions yet. And that's my job is to figure out how to take off. I think about executives though. I mean, I, don't, I just keep coming back to this in my head when I think about that is that, you know, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of executives that have all these different tactics around how they guard not only their inbox, but their, their LinkedIn in mail too, but that's a whole separate topic, but they have their, you know, secretaries or admins or executive assistants that are filtering their emails. Uh, one CEO I know has their executive assistant delete everything in their inbox from anyone that they don't know yeah. before he even touches his inbox every day. That's interesting. So I actually before so I'll, Box, I'll make sure I'll connect you guys. Don't worry, I'll send yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, I'll send them your way. Or but I, I, before yeah. Box, yeah, I ran a virtual assistant outsourcing company. I we had three hundred virtual assistants in Guatemala and the Philippines, and we were outsourcing administrative tasks for executives. And something that people would always ask me for was, "Can your assistants filter out my email?" It's actually one of the hardest context things to do, right? Mm. And so like, if you put me in your inbox, I don't know your network. I It's going to take me a couple months to figure it out. And even then, like somebody's going to be like, hey, you know, I, I, I heard you mentioned on Derek's podcast. And I'm like, okay, like 
So like, or, you know, Andy suggested I reach out to you, right? That's a great sales tactic. Or like, I was, I was just talking to Andy and, and your name came up, right? Like, right, 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 how right, do right. I know what judgment call to make on those things? And yeah. then when your assistant churns, you're back to square zero, right? Oh, yeah. And you so retrain the next person on what you like and what you don't like, who yeah, you know and who you don't. Mm-hmm. So gated can do like a 95% version of that. And yeah, we may make a mistake here and there. Um, and that's like, that's the journey we're asking people to go on with us is be comfortable creating a little more friction um, in the, in the overall communication experience, but to help the quality signals rise through. Right. And it's not like they're going to miss anything either. It's just put into a zipper folder. So you get away from, you know, um, having to write those rules. You know, if I have, if I'm using Outlook as an, ex, as an example, I have to write that. If it's from this person, put it in this folder and do that whole workflow. You just, it's inherent, you know, it, it, and you can control it. It sounds like you can throttle it pretty easily as a user. And yeah. I, I'd imagine as a corporation, there's probably that version of it too, where, you know, my IT team or whoever manages my email communication uh, can have some enterprise level feature functionality, or is it controlled? We, we don't know? have that yet. We're starting okay. to talk to companies about that. Like the most logical one is integrated into my CRM, um, which is like, hey, if there's somebody who's like, at whatever uh, stage, don't do it. Here's the funny thing though, like salespeople are smart. They'll figure that shit out, right? They'll go figure, they'll fill out, go fill out a form right before they email your VP of marketing on something. Um, you know, I, we know every time. They weren't thinking about that now they are. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it won't work now because it's not there, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, I mean, there are so many fascinating tricks. Like I've spent my whole mm. career on the sales side, right? Like the, you know, Google just crushed the send a invite, even though you've never talked to somebody before. Yeah. Yeah. That one happened yesterday. And, you know, it's like, what was it? The, the one, the things that may be more like urban legend than anything else, right? Like the, the FaceTime booking, you know, sending, calling people to FaceTime and all that type of stuff is um, there are a lot of crazy things. I mean, I talked, I mean, I talked to one dude, he routes all his outbound email through Google Forms in some hacky way because Google has 100% deliverability, right? Like the job of salespeople is to just keep innovating and finding new tactics that work. Um, I'm always amazed that people share their tactics, right? Like if it's working, don't tell it to anybody else. Right. Um, the game like, is to be sold, not told. Yeah, I mean, if you were the if you were the Aaron Ross, I mean, I guess Aaron Ross had to make some money somehow, but right, right. and you're like, can I ask you a quick question? Like that was freaking innovative. 15 years ago, not anymore. Um, now it's like, when I get, can I ask you a quick question? Like, boom, that thing's out. Um, or are you the right person? Like, you know, those things are uh, like, if you're using those tactics now, those are like 2000s tactics. Hmm. Well, uh, I don't want to give us whiplash and, you know, jerking us around to different topics, but you mentioned something earlier and you alluded to audiences and so forth. Um, and this is a new concept for me. And so yeah. you you definitely educated me on this. And I want to make sure the audience can pick up on this. Define or explain the concept of owned channels versus rented channels. Yeah, this concept comes from uh, a gentleman named Anthony Canada, who runs a um, super smart guy. He ran marketing at Gainsight, Hopin, and uh, Front. And now he's got his own company, Audience Plus. So I'm an advisor to them, big fan. Um but Anthony's, you know, there are there are a lot of rented channels, right? Like um, search engine marketing, LinkedIn, um, you know, podcasts, yeah, you know, other people's email lists. Like, and so if you have people that are interested and you want to communicate with them, like 
there are a lot of channels you have to pay other people to communicate with. Um, and then there are the owned channels. And there's kind of just one, right? It's email. Um, and maybe a little bit of community, but that's about it. Hmm. And so a lot of, you know, especially as we think through, we have people that have had great experiences with Gated. We've got super fans. We've got advocates. We've got like all the way through to advisors. How do we bring people through that journey, right? To take somebody that's had one good experience with Gated and turn them into somebody who's a super fan. Um, right. The community like, a, viral yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think it's pushing our thinking and, and for good or for bad, I think we're not going to go create a big freaking email list and pound it all the time. Um, so ironic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be that would be incredibly ironic. I mean, I will confess, I did try outbound um, for gated. It, it just didn't work, um, but uh, it was a good idea. Um, and so uh, we've been doing a lot of thinking of we we're starting to build a movement and how do we capture people into that? Like you and I talked to it, like. Mm-hmm we had a great experience and you moved on and, you know, we came back and we talked again, but like, how do I, if I could have brought you through that, I could have turned you into more of an advocate. So I think a lot of people are really excited about what we're doing. Uh, We've written an amazing manifesto that gets people kind of jazzed and the the vision for the world. If you think about the vision for the world, it's a whole lot less email to compete with, right? It's uh, it's, you know, everything is relevant. Everything is personal um, versus what today and, What's about to happen with Chat GPT is about to get absolutely freaking insane. Oh, um, bro. that's a good yeah. point. That's a that's a even more reason for this now. The emails are going to go up ten x. Yeah. yeah, and they're going to be uh, personalized, if you in, if you will, yeah. uh, and written by AI. Uh, so the yeah the amount of email we saw the amount of email I forgot the stat but it went up I think forty percent or something. People saw a lot more email during COVID. I think you, you you probably have this stat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so now with chat GPT and whatever its uh, competitor does, we're, we're, we're going to see a ton more email. So the need for a tool like Gated is easy and, and turning this upside down. I think that's what you mentioned at the start of the, the interview is kind of turning things upside down. You're looking at it from the bottom up as a, as a, in a different uh, manner. So everything becomes relevant. Everything becomes, it's harder to, it's easier to stand out for a salesperson in that environment, if you're doing quality content. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we're, we're on a mission to, to make, it's going to make email slightly more expensive, but like, man, especially if you're a salesperson, you just get ghosted all the time, right? Like it should be about conversations. It shouldn't be about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not the number of emails or the number of calls, but how many people are you actually talking to? So, yeah, I mean, my ask on this is be anyone listening, like, I get why you'd be afraid of us the first time you saw one. Um, we just made that inbox cost something where it didn't before, but we're we're out to increase relevancy, increase humanity, and um, help the right signals get through. We're not out to crush good outbound. Beautiful said. Thank you, Andy. Where uh, where would you send people if they want to learn more, if they want to connect with you? Uh, gated.com. And if somebody really geeks out on what we're doing, drop me an email, Andy at gated.com. If you donate the two bucks, I will guarantee a reply. Um, I won't guarantee I'll buy your stuff, but I guarantee I will uh, I will reply and read and consume and engage. And we'd love to have people follow us on LinkedIn and you know, coming very soon as ways to engage deeper with us. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. 
please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.